The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like you to open your Bibles now, if you would please, to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. Today is the last message on the seventh commandment, and that commandment is found in the 14th verse of Exodus chapter 20, in which God said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And I want to return to this subject again today because I believe we must, due to Jesus' teachings in Matthew chapter 5, adultery is a term that we find used in the Old Testament, and we recognize that its meaning is primarily connected to marriage. Adultery happens when a married man or woman enters into an intimate relationship with someone other than their spouse. Adultery is the violation of the marriage covenant, a covenant that is made between two people in which God joined them together as one body. And in God's eyes, once this union is made, The man and the woman become one flesh. Even as Eve was taken out of Adam's side to be made his wife, this is a symbolic union that's represented by bone of bone and flesh of flesh to indicate that once the union is made, that it cannot be broken. Just as your body cannot be broken and still be whole, so two people that are joined together in in the marriage vow cannot be separated without tearing apart the flesh. And to do that is unnatural, it's painful, it's an unreasonable violation, or as Paul said, there is no one who hates his own flesh, and so no one in his right mind would ever do this, hurt his own flesh. And I felt that we needed to take another look at adultery today because of Matthew chapter 5. And what Jesus said in verses 31 and 32, It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery." Now, those are verses that ought to cause all of us to sit up and pay attention because these are spoken by the one who gave the law at Mount Sinai. Jesus, in these verses, commented on Exodus 20, verse 14, the law that he wrote against adultery. Let me tell you why it was necessary for Jesus to address this commandment as he preached the Sermon on the Mount. The cause was the self-righteousness of the Pharisees who claimed that they were free from the law's condemnation because they were so diligent about keeping all of the commandments. A good case in point would be the young man who came to Jesus seeking to understand how that he could have eternal life, and Jesus told him, keep the commandments. And then after enumerating several of those commandments, the young man just, I guess, sort of stepped back and he said, But I've kept all of those from the time that I was very young. And it was that type of thinking that caused Jesus to go deeper into the law and to explain to them that they had not kept God's law to his satisfaction, 
But what they had done was to keep their version of the law, their interpretation of the law, and that was not good enough in God's demanding justice. That God judges by His intent, not by man's interpretation. And since Jesus is the author of the law, He said over and over again in this fifth chapter, You have heard others say, but I say unto you. And you'll notice this, you see it in verse 22 and verse 27 and verse 32 and verse number 34, verse 39, verse number 44. Every time Jesus said, I say unto you, and what he did was to clarify their mistaken interpretations. Now in our text, the issue is divorce, which at that time was far out of hand. And I'm not going to go into all the details of what they did because we have too much cover to cover today, but we'll just leave it at this. There was an epidemic of divorces in that time. And it was Jesus' point to tell them, if you are divorced, then you have not kept the law as you say that you do. Why? Because, he said, you're guilty of adultery. So I want to look at this because we have the same problem. And God be thanked, and you might not even be aware of this, but thankfully the divorce rate in America is in slight decline. For a long time, we, we would say about 50% of marriages in our country end in divorce. That rate is now about 40% for first marriages. And the overall rate is raised because of second and third marriages. 60% of second marriages and 70% of third marriages end in divorce. So here's the bad news if you're in that situation. If the first marriage that you had didn't make it, then statistics say if you try again, that the rate of failure raises by 50%. It goes from 40 to 60%. And that doesn't mean that your marriage will fail, but it does tell you you had better work much harder at that next marriage than you did the first one. If I were to ask you to show your hands if you have been divorced or... Raise your hand if you know somebody that is divorced. I know that every hand in this building would go up. I don't have to ask you that because you know it, I know it. And since this is true, then we have to look at the Scriptures and say, what are we going to do with Matthew chapter 5? Are you or someone that you know living in adultery because of divorce? Are you a Christian that's in an adulterous relationship and if you are, then how can you expect God to bless you? No one who lives in continuous sin can be blessed by God. In fact, First John says that you cannot have sin as a habit. A Christian cannot live in sin as a habit. And so that makes understanding Matthew 5 imperative for today's Christians. Now, I hope that I can answer some serious questions about this today. My message this morning is for Christians. And I believe most of you, if not all of you, claim to believe in Jesus Christ. And my main purpose overall in teaching the Ten Commandments was to teach it to Christians so that we would understand how to obey and live for God every single day. So this is a very critical subject because marriage is emblematic of the covenant that God made with His church. Divorce and marriage is like God breaking his covenant of faithfulness to his people. And God will not do that. And neither should you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are to be faithful as God is faithful. 
Now, I know that some of you will be uncomfortable with the teaching today, and you just might say, well, preacher, why can't you just let sleeping dogs lie? Why, why do you have to go into this? There's no need for you to do that. And I'm not trying to be unfair to you. My intention today is not to demean divorced people. We know many divorced Christians are good, godly people. Uh, divorced Christians are not second-class Christians. Many divorced Christians, we would just have to say, are better Christians than many who are not. But at the same time, we can't minimize divorce. I can't do it because Jesus didn't do it. He was very serious about it, and he taught about it. Divorce is not in God's plan for his people because of this covenant relationship and because God is a covenant-keeping God. Divorce cannot happen unless one or both parties are guilty of terrible sin. The commandment says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus said, if a man divorces his wife, he causes her to commit adultery. The same is true from the wife's perspective. If she divorces her, hus her husband, she causes him to commit adultery. Now, the reason that Jesus spoke of this from the man's perspective, uh, this is the way he's always looking at this, from the man's perspective, well, the only reason for that is the cultural issue and because he was speaking to the religious leaders, and they were men, and they were the guilty parties that he was trying to reach. In his time, men were in control. Men initiated divorce. Women couldn't do it. Now, they, they, they couldn't file a petition for divorce, but under certain circumstances, what they could do, they could ask a court, or comp uh, ask a court to compel a man to initiate a divorce proceeding. Well, that's really one of the quirks of, the law, quirks of their law uh, that uh, kept men in charge or made it look like they were in charge and if, as if it was their idea. And I, I can't even begin to try to unravel all of the strange things that the Pharisees did in their law. Uh, that system defies logic. But for the most part, we could say that a woman could not initiate divorce. Today, it's different. Women file for divorce at a rate of two times to one over men. About 70% of divorces that are filed are filed by women. So it's important for us to recognize when Jesus talked to the men here, he did have both parties involved. The principle is the same for either. Now, to get into this discussion, the first thing that we need to do is cover a little bit of old ground. And that's, that's not a problem for us because this is information that needs to be repeated many times. And my first point re-emphasizes the command that we find in Exodus chapter 20. Why did God say not to commit adultery? Well, we look at this first. Marriage is permanent. Marriage is permanent. It's a covenant of fidelity. It was always intended to be permanent. Marriage is the backbone of society. From the very beginning, it was the basis of the family unit. And we're very concerned today how that society defines marriage because our, our, our families are built on this. So you can search the scriptures from the first to the last and you'll never find a scripture that conveys any other idea, any other sense than this, that marriage is a lifetime commitment. Marriage is a covenant and a covenant is a promise and a promise is not to be broken. Marriage is a contract. But it's not a contract that's validated by a license. A marriage license 
does not make a covenant. It's God who joins two people together to make them one flesh. Now, I don't want you to go away today saying, well, the preacher says that, that we have permission for people to live together without a marriage license. No, I didn't say that. That's the oldest trick in the book for lack of commitment. That's to say, oh, we're in love. We don't need a piece of paper because we're married in the eyes of God. Let me give you a theological word for that. Baloney. Uh, it comes from the Greek word bolonexia, baloney. So you need a marriage license. You've got to have that in order to validate the marriage in man's court of law. Society needs to know that there is a lawful contract. The Bible commands us to keep men's laws as well as God's laws because those are just extensions of God's law. So you've got to have the license. But my point is, the license is secondary to the much bigger validation, which is God's. You answer to God. In Matthew 19, Jesus said, God joins two together, wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. So when God puts it together, you shall not tear it apart. Now, if you want... Uh, you can do a psychological study on why people should not divorce. There's plenty of information that you can find on it. Uh, you can even just throw out all of the religious considerations and still you'll find out that it's a very, very bad idea. That divorce is unhealthy. Nobody questions the psychological damage that it does, especially in the case of children. Nobody argues that there is much pain that is caused by divorce. All of that's true, and all of those things need to be uh, considered. But respectfully, let me say, I don't need a psychologist to tell me that you ought not to divorce. I don't need them to give me a reason not to divorce. I have it here in the Word of God. The primary reason for this is in the Scriptures, because God said, don't do it. What I have joined together, you're not to tear apart. Now, in Matthew chapter 19, the Pharisees objected to Jesus teachings on this. And so they came back with their rejoinder and they said, but we have kept the Mosaic law because Moses gave laws for divorce. Verse number seven, they say unto him, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? Let me give you some advice. Don't argue with Jesus. Here's his scathing reply to that. Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Jesus told them, it's because you sinned. It's because your hearts were hard, because you were rebellious, because you wouldn't listen, because you perverted God's intention, because you are so poor at obeying God, Moses had to deal with you. And then he said, there was no law for it at the beginning. And that hasn't changed. Marriage is still permanent. And so before you take the vow and you put the ring on it, you better know this, that you're not going to get out of your marriage unless there is sin. You ought not to enter into a marriage thinking wrongly. Marriage is not a ball and chain that you can't get out of, but rather marriage is a beautiful gift given by God. Love your spouse. Love your spouse as your own flesh. And then there's never going to be a problem with divorce. But there are problems, aren't there? 
We deal with them every day. It's widespread. We know their problems. People sin. It happens. It happens often. There's sin, and then the marriage is broken. So what happens when there's sin? Well, there's good news. Where there's sin, there's also forgiveness. God is gracious. Thank Him that when sin is confessed, God is faithful to forgive. Now, you need to consider this as well. That Always consider that although your spouse may sin against you, there is the option of forgiveness. God forgave sins against him that are far worse than what we do to each other. And so forgiveness, I think, is always better than divorce. But as we look at Jesus' teachings on this, there does seem to be some incongruity here in Matthew 5.32 because he gives a cause that would allow a marriage to be broken. And if it's permanent, how can he do this? How, how can a marriage be broken when it's supposed to be permanent? Well, he said, the flesh must be torn. That's the violation of the union. That's when the flesh is torn apart. That's the only case for that that we find here in these, these verses. So number two, we're going to look at this. Divorce may be permitted. Divorce may be permitted, but for only one cause. Two are joined together to become one flesh, so how can they be separated? Well, you need to hold on to that thought, because that's the key. The flesh must be torn, and Jesus tells us how it's done. Verse 32, Matthew 5, But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her, that is divorced, committeth adultery. Now, let me just get this part out of the way first. There isn't any point to come and talk to me about this later. There is one cause. Jesus said it. Divorce. There's only one cause. The next step is adultery. So there isn't any need for someone to say, but, well, wait, 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 Pastor. You don't understand my situation. You don't understand what I've gone through. You don't know what he did to me or she did to me. Well, there might be reasons that you need to get out of the house. There may be abuse. It may be dangerous. But I can't give you another reason for divorce. You may be in an abusive relationship, but you need to know that those kinds of relationships were as real in Jesus' time as they are now. Those things happened then. But Jesus didn't elaborate on any of that. He just tells us about this, and he doesn't give any other reasons. He could have... And then there are some who say, well, that's not the end of the matter, because Paul may have given other reasons, and I can't debate that here. I can only deal with what I'm sure of. Anything else is speculation. And I know for some of you, this is hard. But the best thing that, that, that you want is a preacher who has to stick with the Word of God. The worst thing that you want is a preacher that feels free to expand upon the Scriptures and go beyond what they say and make up the rules. I don't make up the rules. The Pharisees did things like that. I don't want to be like them. They made a mockery of the law, and I don't want to be guilty of that. But, I'll tell you this now, you don't want to turn me out because of what I've just said. Don't shut me off just yet because I have some interesting information for you about the problem of abuse and other issues that people deal with God knows how these things work out, and God always maintains the integrity of his law and his way of doing things. So
So there's one cause, let's get that out of the way, one cause, and we do need to understand it. The word that Jesus used here is fornication. Jesus did not say adultery. And that's significant because we know when the Bible intends to speak specifically and we know when it broadens the terms. Now, if you remember, we looked at adultery in the Ten Commandments and we saw there that adultery is a very, very broad term. It includes any sexual sin. In Matthew chapter 5, adultery is used, though, in the context of marriage which means that Jesus is using it in a restricted sense. This is someone that is married and is unfaithful to their partner, and they have sex with another person, a person of the opposite sex. Now, in Matthew 5.32, though, we find that both terms are used here, fornication and adultery, which shows that there is a distinction in the terms. Fornication in this part of the Scripture is the broader term that also includes adultery, but includes more. It includes more than what happens a spouse having actual relationships with someone else outside of their marriage. It includes more than that. It includes any type of deviant sexual behavior. Homosexuality, bestiality, those are included. If a wife or husband discovers that the other is involved in pornography, then that's also a violation that makes divorce possible. Divorce is not ruled out unless there is, this, there is sex with another person. It includes all types of deviant sexual behavior. Now this idea takes us to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul dealt with many sexual sins in the Corinthian church. He used adultery and fornication in both physical and spiritual terms. And notice how he brings in the one flesh principle, 1 Corinthians 6.16. He says, what know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body. For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. Having sex with another person is to join your body to them. And what it does, it tears away the flesh that belongs to your spouse and joins it to another. And because of that, there's one reason for divorce. The flesh is torn, and that's the way that it's done. In verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 6, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Now, adultery and the broader term of fornication, which includes all types of illicit sexual, uh, sexual activity, is covered in these scriptures. Now, let me emphasize again that fornication is a reason you may divorce. The sins involved here are, are terrible sins, but there is still forgiveness. You have the permission to divorce. But there is no command that you must divorce. That's a decision for you to make. God doesn't condemn you if you decide that the issues are just too great for you to overcome. The trust is no longer there. Some people are convinced that it, it's, it's too far gone. Uh, they're convinced that if this person did it once, then they'll do it again. And if that's the decision that you come to, that's fine. God's okay with that. You're safe if you make that decision. But I just want to make you aware you don't have to make that decision. You can decide you want to stay with that person. Uh, a, a divorce is not commanded, but you have permission. Now, thirdly, I'd like us to note, number three, is that illegal divorce makes more adulterers. Illegal divorce makes more adulterers. 
And that's really where I wanted to bring you today in consideration of the seventh commandment. Look again at verse 32. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her, that is divorced, committeth adultery. Now the scribes and the, and the Pharisees were much like us today. They wanted to make any excuse a cause for divorce. It was as simple as this, that if a, if a woman displeased the man for any reason, they could divorce. If she burned breakfast, then that was a reason for divorce. But we've improved upon that immensely today because now we have no-fault divorce. You don't even have to have a reason. If you don't want, you can just divorce. I was reading about this the other day, and I saw an advertisement for California no-fault no fault divorce, and it said three easy steps and $299. And then I saw a competitive advertisement that said, no, we will do it for $149. If you need to know how to get that deal, see me after church and I'll hook you up there. But the divorce was just really quick and easy for the Pharisees. They thought that if they could just get the paperwork right, then no one can accuse them of adultery. But the truth is, they were a horribly adulterous society. And that's what Jesus nailed them on in their smug self-righteousness. If you divorce your wife for any other reason but fornication, you cause her to commit adultery. Well, how is that so? Well, it doesn't mean that adultery is automatic. Uh, she doesn't become an adulteress just because she is divorced. Oh, this means that if she marries again, she becomes adulterous because the first marriage vow is still binding according to God's law. And who do you think that she would be likely to marry after being divorced? Probably another Pharisee. Probably one of her husband's cronies. So what these people had, the Pharisees had, was this great legalized wife-swapping system. They could trade wives if they wanted to with just a simple writing of divorcement. Now the problem is that the man who married her, though, would be guilty of fornication. Now when you sort all of that out, you have a society where there is adultery everywhere. They multiplied adultery like gerbils. In 25 days, you can have six new gerbils. Or in this case, you can have six new adulterers. And this is the same group that said, oh, but we keep all of God's commandments. We're holy people. We're righteous. We've kept all of God's laws from our youth. And so it's easy to see why Jesus said in Matthew 16, you are a wicked and adulterous generation. And would Jesus say less about ours? Our churches are filled with adulterers because Divorce rates among Christians are no different from the rest of the population. Well, are we starting to get a little bit nervous now? We've got a big problem, don't we? We're studying the Ten Commandments. The seventh one is egregiously violated. So what are we going to do? Well, let me deal with a few common questions, and then we'll end our exposition of the seventh commandment. Question number one, what about remarriage after divorce. Some say there can be no remarriage. That God's not going to recognize any marriage that comes after a divorce, no matter the reason that the divorce happened. Now notice each time, though, that the Bible speaks of divorce, remarriage is in that conversation. When Moses addressed it, when Jesus did, when Paul did, 
they all had something to say about remarriage. And so this tells us that remarriage is assumed. It's natural to assume that the person will remarry. If there's a legitimate cause for divorce, then the first marriage is gone. That's not a problem. The person has been released from their vow, and so they're free to marry again. The flesh was torn. That, that marriage has been split apart, and so that person is no longer bound to the person that they were married to before. If fornication, the adultery, is a part of, that, uh, uh, of what caused the divorce. So that person is no longer the other person's flesh. Second question, what if my wife or my husband leaves me? Well, this is a tougher one uh, because there might be a good case for abandonment. This is what I referred to earlier in the discussion about Paul. Paul made some comments in 1 Corinthians. The problem I have with it is I can't seem to make it fit into Matthew 5.32. Jesus didn't squeeze it in there. So I'm just going to let this stand at what I mentioned before. If there's abuse, if there's that kind of a problem, then what you ought to do is leave the house. Just get away from it. And let me just let it rest with this, that the other party, when this happens, the other party usually initiates an action. The one who abandons and the one who abuses usually divorces and remarries. And then when that happens, when there's a remarriage, then adultery has been committed. And so that frees the other person so they can marry again. What you need to do is to trust God. Always trust God in these things. He controls the outcomes. God takes evil and turns it into good for his people. But does that mean that what you ought to do is pray that the one who broke your marriage would go into adultery? Well, no, you wouldn't pray for that. You pray for your marriage to be healed, but you do need to leave things in the hands of God. Don't try to pry into God's secret works to see how he's going to figure things out. Just stand by, stand back, and watch what God does. You are his child, and obedience to him is always going to work out best in the end. Then understand also that God has his purposes. There isn't a guaranteed right to marriage. You just wait on the Lord for whatever his purposes may be. And then when the time is right, he will lift you. Number three, if I'm separated, is it okay for me to date? No. That's the common question, and the answer to it is always no. And that's because you're legally married. You can't do that if your marriage is, 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 hasn't been declared to be invalid by the court. Divorce hasn't been granted. Uh, if your marriage is irreparably harmed by adultery, the answer is still no. You have to consider your testimony. How does that look to others? Now, you may be tempted and you may overcome the temptations if you're trying to date somebody while you're still married. But then again, you can be unjustly charged of doing wrong. You leave yourself open to a charge that you don't want to defend. So you don't want to be seen dating while you're legally married. And I'm not just saying don't be seen. Don't sneak around to do it either. No. Let me expand on that just a little bit. If your spouse broke the marriage vows and committed adultery, are you now free? Well, to answer that question, you have to look at it through the eyes of the civil law. Without a court canceling the marriage, the marriage is still valid. And you can't marry another person until there is a legal divorce. The law says 
the marriage is binding. And if it is, then you must consider it binding. Now, although that's man's law, that's not in conflict with God's law. No, no one could, could argue that, well, this is a higher standard of righteousness than not waiting until the legal issues are resolved. Well, which way do you think God would proceed? God's law is never going to be less righteous than man's law. So you stay away from that, and that'll put you into a better place of testimony where no one can question that you are above the fray and that you've done the right thing. Now that's a good place for, to take us back to the original principle of Jesus' teachings. He, he exploded false interpretations of the law to show how far short they were of God's standard. Each of the Ten Commandments does the same to us. There are many questions, there are many scenarios that come in to the Ten Commandments. And the reason that we ask all of these questions is because there are just so many ways that we can sin. It's impossible for us to keep up with all the possibilities of sin that we can get into. And so we always have this important truth hanging over us. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're never going to be able to reach God's standard. Human nature does not permit us to get there. At our best, all of us are still sinners. The Jewish leaders, although they claimed to be so good, they were the top offenders. They claimed to be the best, but Jesus showed they were among the worst. Now, we, we, we can't look at people, and <coughs> we can't depend upon popular opinions. You can't come to me and ask me to fix it for you and do that by preaching something different. You're not going to get me to soothe your feelings over this. My opinions don't matter if, they're not, if they don't match the Word of God. Because God doesn't use my opinions to judge anybody. He judges by His Word. So what's the answer to this? I'll tell you the answer. Only Jesus can help you. He went to the cross to pay the penalty of your sins, and the cross is the only place that you're going to find help for this. Now, based upon the cross, then, I can help you with this last question. And this may be the one where you are today and you're wondering about. I am divorced. My divorce was wrong. What am I to do now? Well, if you find yourself in Matthew 5.32 without the exception clause, you've committed adultery. I can't, I can't change the commission of the crime. The command is broken. I can't change illegal divorces to make them right. I can't judge all the issues that are involved with it. But this is what I can do. I can take you to the cross. And I can go to an example that shows what Jesus can do about this sin. Now, you probably know the story well. It's the story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. So let's turn to John chapter 4 as we finish today. John chapter 4 and we'll look at the part that fits our discussion. Jesus and a Samaritan woman were in a conversation at Jacob's well at Sychar, and they were discussing water and getting a drink of water from the well. In John 4.14, Jesus speaks to this woman, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. Woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. 
The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast now hast is not thy husband, in that saidst thou truly. I would suggest that this is the most extreme of extreme cases. I think what we have here is just an over-the-top case just to show us how fully capable of, that Jesus is in resolving all sin questions. In terms of adultery and divorce, this example goes above and beyond. Now, the Samaritan woman had been married five times. I think the tenor of her situation is not that she had five husbands that had died, but all five husbands are still living. And the depth of her sin was just staggering. And added on top of that, of top of that she was living with a man that she was not married to, who was, definitely was not her husband. So we have adultery here, and we have fornication as well. Now this case shows the deep, deep sin that she was in. Probably you can see a parallel in verse number 11, when the woman said to Jesus, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? The well is deep. And as Jesus looked at her, her sin was deep. Jesus can go down deep, can he? No matter how deep that your sin is, Jesus can get down below it. And I believe the intent of that is to, is to show us how deep sin is contrasted to the powerful living water that Christ has, that it has the power to wash away all sin. There is no sin that's too deep for Jesus to take care of. Now, a Pharisee would look and he would say, well, there's no hope for her. She's a woman. <laughs> that's bad. She is a woman. She's a Samaritan. That's doubly bad. A Samaritan woman. She's a multiple, adulterous, sinning woman Samaritan. You can't get worse. There's nothing below this person. And the story's recorded because there are none that are worse. But then we go all the way down to verse number 28. The woman then left her water pot and went away her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? The woman believed that he was the Christ. Now, I hope you're all familiar with what Christ means. That means Messiah. So she believed that he was the Messiah. And because of that, her faith saved her. Look at verse number 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified. He told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. That is extreme forgiveness for extreme sin. Her sin was adultery six times over. And she was forgiven. That's the power of the cross. That's what we just sang about. The power of the cross. Now, if Jesus forgave her adultery, then what do you think Jesus can do with you? What do you think he can do with your sin? Can he forgive you? Do you think that it's possible with the sin that you've been in and the things that you've done that you could ever be useful 
in the service of God? And yet here we find the Samaritan woman was. As soon as she understood who Jesus was and she got saved, her sins were forgiven, and she was useful to him in being a witness to bring others, many others in that city, to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. What happens when you ask forgiveness? If you're in an adulterous relationship, what happens if you ask forgiveness? You're forgiven. You ask for forgiveness, you're given. And here's the thing, folks. The marriage that you're in right now, the one that began as an adulterous relationship, the one that you are in right now, becomes the one that you are to be true and faithful in. Now your marriage is recognized by God because you've been asked, you've asked to be forgiven of that sin. You've asked forgiveness and now God considers the marriage to be honorable. Now it represents the covenant of fidelity. So what does that tell us? Well, it says that if you've been divorced, you don't serve God as a second-class citizen. God has no second-class citizens. None. All of his people are blood-washed. All of them have been cleansed from their sins. All of them have the righteousness of Christ. All of them will appear before God without one sin charged to their account. And what is the key to it all? I ask Christ to forgive me. And that's what you have to do. You must come before the throne of Jesus Christ, admitting that you are a sinner, that I have done wrong, I have sinned against you, God, but now I'm asking you to forgive me through your mercy and your grace. Cleanse me from my sin. And that's what Jesus does every time. You can't go to Jesus and ask forgiveness and not get it. But the sincere heart, truly believing who Jesus is, understanding that he's the only one that can take away sin, you can't come to him and ask forgiveness and be turned away. And so the woman at the well admitted her sin. She knew she was a sinner. Jesus caught her deep, deep in sin, but she was forgiven of it. Thank God for his mercy and grace. Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting availing. The Father, both thee and thy load, will upbear. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you now as sinners. Lord, maybe the sin that I mentioned today is not the one that's bothering a person in this congregation. Maybe it's something else. And we know this, that all sins are separating sins. None of us can look at another and say how good we are, how righteous we are, because we don't do the things that they do. Now, every sin in the heart separates us from you. It pushes us away. There's a wide gulf that can't be bridged. And Lord, we need to do as this woman in John 4 did. We need to admit sin in our heart come before you and confess it, no matter what that sin is. 
Adultery is a horrible sin. We've, we've talked about that. It's a, it's a horrible sin. But going down the list of the Ten Commandments, all of them are horrible sins. All of them separate us from God. All of, us, all of them cause us to die and go to hell. And so forgiveness must be had for all of them if we expect to see heaven. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to some heart today and cause them to bow down before you, confessing their sins and cry out for the mercy and grace of God to save them from them. No one will escape the fires of hell unless they have been granted forgiveness by Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray you'd open hearts today. Help us to understand your word, to accept it as it's been given, though it may be difficult for us and hard to see at times. Yet, Lord, we put our full confidence and trust in you that you will forgive us of our sins if we confess, if we repent and confess and come to you believing in Jesus Christ. Speak to someone today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.